Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Tuesday, January 26th, 2021. We are continuing on in our study of Ecclesiastes. Um, today was supposed to be mainly through chapters 3 and 4. We we took some time to finish up in chapter 2, and then we got through chapters 3 and 4 um, a little quicker than we probably wanted to. But uh, we also spent an hour and a half. That's why this episode is so long. Um, we're going to more of an hour and a half format. Uh, the people have agreed to it, and so who am I to stand in the way of teaching more, especially when people want it? Well, without further ado, there's a lot to get through. So with that, we will um, just begin the Bible study here on Ecclesiastes chapters 3 and 4. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God of all mercies, you have begun your good work in us. Continue, we pray, to fill us with all dimensions of wisdom and knowledge. Grant grant that the devil would have no power over us but that our hearts and minds might be directed to the blessed hope of the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Okay, so um, we didn't get through all of chapter two last week, right? Mm -hmm. We kind of, let's do some cleanup work on that before we get into chapters three and four. So where did we stop last time? Um, I forget. Refresh my memory. Did we get through verse 11? Or not really? But we talked about y'all looking over the questions and... Um, make sure I got here. Yep. We talked about y'all looking over the questions and thinking about them, meditating on them a little bit. Was let's let's start with chapter two, verses one through eleven. That sheet um, was 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 there some were there some questions that really got you thinking there? This whole book makes you think. That's what wisdom wisdom. Um, Texts will do. They'll really get you thinking. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So let's just start with number one, okay? okay. <laughs> On Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, that, that, that sheet there. So, what are some of the avenues of pleasure Solomon pursued in reference to verses 2 and 3, which read, Um, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, uh, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So what, what are some avenues of pleasure Solomon pursued? Wine. Yeah, he drank, right? Being in, being in Fredericksburg, we got a lot of wine, a little wineries at least. So, so yeah, he drank. Uh, he engaged in laughter. What? Laughter, yeah. 
engaged in folly, right? Foolishness, just light, you know, cares, you know, careless actions and things like that, right? Um, he did things that people in general hold as foolish, you know. Um, so Solomon said that he engaged in this pleasure for a reason, and what was his reason? Why did, why did he do these things? Because of his wisdom? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of crazy, right? Um, yeah, he says in verse 3, right, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom. Um, it's kind of crazy because if you're engaging in folly, how is that wise? You know, it's, it's counterintuitive in a lot of ways. Um, let me grab my other Bible here. But he did it so that he could experience, guess, I guess, both sides of things, right? Um, he was being, I don't know, kind of like a split personality, kind of strange. But um, Solomon's pleasure was not limited to drinking and laughing. What other things uh, did Solomon do? Verses 4 through 10 there. Well, he got a lot of projects going. Well, yeah, he, got, he did a lot of stuff, right? Um, I don't know if he did it or if he had his slaves do it. Right. He just kind of thought about made Made the project. That's what my dad used to do. <laughs> oh, I've got a project for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was, he was busy uh, building houses, vineyards. What else? Pools. Yeah. Um, let me see here. Gardens. Yeah, gardens, orchards, fruit trees, right? Pools. Male and female servants he acquired, right? It just goes on and on. He acquired, well, really, they were slaves. Um, they weren't just servants, but large herds and flocks of animals, silver and gold, singers, and a harem. <laughs> uh, you know, a certain group of uh, concubines. So he did it all, you know, I guess you could say. He did it all. He was trying to see where enjoyment in this life can be found, right? Um, but as he did all these things, Solomon said his wisdom stayed with him, but what did he mean by that? I mean, we talked about that before. It's like, you know, he did all these things out of wisdom? How does that make sense? You would think out of wisdom he would know what, what, what's right and what's wrong. And, I mean, his lifestyle doesn't seem like it's all that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember when he With first... The and the yeah, you know, and... and pretty good to me. If he, knows, if he knows that, you know, that in the eyes of men these things are foolishness, what is it? In verse 3, at least in the New King James Version, he says, you know, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guarding my heart with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. Um, so, in some ways, he did, the, he did this to find out, you know, for 
are these things really foolish? I mean, that's not necessarily the general advice you'd give anybody to do. I, I did, you shouldn't say to anybody really, you know, yeah, just go out, um, you know, I guess throw caution to the wind completely. You shouldn't do that. Um, but he was doing it to figure out, uh, you know, to objectively evaluate everything he did to see if he was able to escape what he previously called vanity, right? Are these things really worth doing? Are they really, you know, all these people go to and fro and they're, and they're drinking and they're having fun and they're pursuing all these things thinking that there's going to be some great goal or um, uh, some great um, end found in them, but after trying it all and doing it all, he finds out, no, there is nothing in these things. It's all emptiness by themselves, right? And for the sake of their own doing, there is no point, right? You get drunk, you wake up the next morning, you got a hangover, you got a hangover right? Yeah. Not so much fun. You make this promise, right? I'm never going to do that again. Chances are you probably will. You know, depending on how bad things get or how good things get, I guess, depending on what you, um, what you encounter in life. But, you know, he was trying to objectively see these things for what they really were as best he could, right? And if anybody could do it, he could do it, right? He had the means to find these things out. So in verses 10 and 11, Solomon came to a conclusion he repeated throughout Ecclesiastes what two things did he conclude about all his activities? That they were meaningless. <laughs> yeah. Chasing the wind. Right. Well, he saw that there was enjoyment, right? But then again, like you said, ultimately it was meaningless. It was fleeting. It wasn't lasting. The things in this world are not eternal, right? Uh, we talked last time a little bit about how, you know, when he was saying, um, when you eat, you know, he says, um, what does he say? Um, where is that? He says, like, you know, that the, the waters and the seas, you know, the rivers run to the, um, oh yeah, he says, all things are full of labor, men cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, right? And there's nothing new under the sun, right? That when you eat, you don't stay full. When you drink water or you satisfy your thirst in some way, you get thirsty again. It doesn't, it doesn't last. And that's what he's trying to find out. Is there something in this world that does last? But no. You know, it's all meaningless. He sees that nothing lasts, nothing is new under the sun. Again, fairly depressing, right? Well, let's move to the apply section on here, right? Is it wrong to enjoy things? Let me just ask that first question. Is it wrong to enjoy things? No. 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 Okay. They're a gift from God. Yeah. What is what is wrong about? 
When you overindulge. When you overindulge or um, when you think that it's going to last, right? You've heard, you've probably heard some sort of variation of the uh, saying, you know, that um, everyone's trying to fill the God-sized hole within their heart, right? That without God, you, you have this major gap in your life and you're just trying to fill it with something. And you find out that that chasm can't be filled. You know, it can't be bridged by anything but Christ, right? And we know this as Christians on this side of things, right? Um, and to some extent, I think Solomon understood that as well, because he had the promise of the Messiah too, right? He had the, he had the promise, like all the Old Testament saints, that the promise of the Messiah was was going to be fulfilled. We're looking forward to that day. And until that day, we have the Torah, the teaching of God, to guide us along the right path in preparation for His coming, right? Um, let me see here. What is this note here? It's interesting that you know, there's enjoyment in things, and it's not wrong to enjoy things. And who said, who said something about, you know, what, what, we had a few comments there. There was, um, they're a gift from God, right? So they're a gift from God, and that's what we should be looking to as well, that, what did we say? I'm trying to remember all the things we talked about last time. There's so much stuff, right? Could go back and watch the video, but, yeah. Could go back and watch the video, but um, that's a rerun. But we see here that to truly enjoy something, we um, we want it to last, right? Enjoyment is desirable, and you know how many times have we said, "Oh, I just wish this moment would never end," right? Or when things were good, we said, man, I just wish that this could just go on forever, right? And now we see that all good things don't last in this world alone, right? That you can't have both enjoyment and a sense of lasting value within it, at least all by itself in this world. And that, I mean, it, I hate to keep going on this. It's just so depressing if you keep really thinking about it, right? But... The, that, that note at the bottom, which I think you all have too, right? That the pursuit of pleasure is meaningless as the pursuit of wealth and greatness. It's sort of like reading a good book. And I like to work jigsaw puzzles too. Mm -hmm. And I work it and I work it and I work it. And then I finish it and it's kind of like, now what do I do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and then you look back and you think, man, I wasted a lot of time on this. I should, you know, maybe I should have done something. But I enjoyed it at the time. Sure. Truly enjoyed it. You know, reading a good book or working those jigsaw puzzles. Right. But then when it's done, <laughs> now I know. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I, this is just a little bit of insight into my own uh, mind and faulty thinking. You know, um, there's always more things to do. Right? There's always something that's going to keep you busy. And procrastination is such a bear sometimes. And it's tricky 
because I don't know if y'all ever thought this way, but my, you know, I, 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 I have a little bit of ADHD kind of, I, I kind of drift in thought. I mean, you've been in my Bible studies, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and the thing is though, is that I really, really want to sit down and I want to read, I want to read more things and gain knowledge, wisdom, and things like that from as many things as I can. And sometimes it's hard to sit down and read something because I'll preemptively think like that, saying, well, when I get to the end of that book, then what? So I just hold off on it. I'm not going to read it all right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. I'll set it off to the side because I'm going to answer these emails or something. Or I'm going to I'm gonna, um, uh, right. go, go make this phone call, this, that, and the other, and just set this book aside. Because that book's always going to be there. So, you know, and I don't want to rush these things. Who wants to rush this thing? You know, so it's, it's part of that procrastination and, and the <laughs> fallen understanding of things where you can sometimes preempt, or at least sometimes I preemptively say, you know, um, well, you know, you've, you've been in my study, you've seen all those books on the, uh, the bookshelves, and I haven't read all of them. Believe it or not, I have not read all of them. Uh, but I'd like to at least get through most of them at some point in time. And it takes dedication and hard work, but then I'm worried. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm worried to say, like, you know, well, once I've gotten through that, then... Well, then there's not that thing to do anymore, and there's no lasting enjoyment in it. And I'm not saying it's an ideal way of thinking. I'm just saying that sometimes that's the way that's I the think. That's the way you think, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. Any 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 other comments on uh, verses one through eleven here in chapter two, of Ecclesiastes? Any thoughts or insights? It wasn't meaningless to do those things, to do work jigsaw puzzles. It keeps your mind sharp. And to read books, it keeps your mind sharp. It's not meaningless. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point, that there is meaning to be found in these things, and, you know, we, we can find some hope in it. I guess what, what Solomon gets at here is that it doesn't last, right? Um... I like to read, I, I, I would like to, what is it, I would like to read more, you know, uh, church fathers or like theologians like C.F.W. Walther, I like to read more of his stuff, but it's funny because you read some of his stuff and you see, oh, this is, some, this is dated, let's be honest, it's dated, it's from the 1800s, he's got good points on certain things, but, you know, certain things you have to understand that the wisdom in certain ages that pertain to that specific age, they don't always last either. And, um, there is meaning to be found. There is wisdom to be found in a lot of different things as far as reading. Um, you can get a sense of satisfaction of completing a jigsaw puzzle or a gardening project or um, you know, yard work to say, hey, this feels good. But it's funny, you, know, you pick up those leaves from your yard one year and the next year you got to do it all over again. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily last. So. I mean, gain whatever pleasure you can from these things, but understanding that it doesn't last. Well, we're off to a very cheery start. This is fun. Um, let's move on to verses 12 through 26, and it probably would have helped for me to read verses 1 through 11, so, um, or somebody to read it, but since we've already burned that bridge, let's move on to... Chapter 2, verses 12 through 26. Who would like to read 
verses 12 through 26 for us in chapter 2. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. <clears throat> what more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their head, while a fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, for the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to, to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the, all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun, for a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Yeah, so. That's just his point of view. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm thinking, yeah. you know, what little I have or toiled for, okay, we'll leave it to our son. Well, to me, that's, to me, that's not meaningless. I mean, okay, you know, uh, that's his opinion. <laughs> well, I guess what he's getting at, and you're right, it's not necessarily... I guess here's probably the point. It's probably not pointless that there is some gain in this. It's good to hand things over to your children. The inheritance that's passed on from one generation to the next is a good thing. But I guess it depends on what that inheritance is or how you view that inheritance or you teach your children what that inheritance really means. Well, Something, I don't know. Yeah, uh, our son's real good at building things. Uh -huh. He's very creative and makes things. Where'd he get that? From his grandfather's. And, you know, he's, 
it's just like that. I mean, we all inherit something like that from our ancestors. Yeah. I mean, you've got some preachers in your One that I know of, yeah. One, one that I know of by blood. But, uh, yeah, no, you're... Yeah. The, Diane knows you. That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, it's... Yeah, I guess that's, that's the point. And we'll see this in Ecclesiastes at, towards the end. That, you know, all these things... There's this... Uh, there needs to be a distinction here made between material wealth and spiritual wealth. Uh, a material inheritance and a spiritual inheritance um, that, you know, that uh, you pass things on to people and if, and if your entire being or worth is held up in the material things, you pass them on and money needs to be spent, property needs to be used, you know, and things at the end will just be dust, right? So, yeah, you're right, that's his point of view, but he's trying, I think, you know, Solomon, Solomon being a very wise man, you know, from the Lord, has something to teach us here is that, right, it's not necessarily meaningless, but we can say that as Christians, probably, Right? We can say that as Christians, saying, yeah, we've given them also a different kind of um, inheritance, something that lasts forever, which is what he's getting at, but he's making his case first that when you work and you work and you do all these things, like all, all, you're gonna all that's going to happen is literally you can't take it with you. Uh, you're going to have to pass it on to somebody. I mean, I, but you know what's kind of, what was this, like about 10 years ago or something? In China, there was this um, there was this family-owned business, like a grocer or something like that, um, grocer, however you say it, but or somebody that dealt in some sort of business, and it was a family business that had been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the family, like since like one of the dynasties, you know, before um, communism and everything took over. But this business had been going for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then all of a sudden it went bankrupt because the person who last inherited it made some really bad decisions and it was all gone. I would have hated to be that person, uh, especially because they they have more of an ancestor worship in China, but you know, so your ancestor would be very upset with you, kind of thing. But it just goes to show you that that sort of thing, there's an end to it, right? There's, these things don't last. But um, let's dive into this a little bit more. I think this, this was the page that we kind of left off on, right? Uh, was the page of, um, in our little growing packet here, verses 12 through 26 in chapter 2. Um, death makes everything meaningless, right? Uh, verse 12, wisdom and madness and folly. Solomon turned his attention to comparing a wise man and a fool. Uh, verse 17, I hated life, right? Solomon wanted to find something of meaning, something that would last, but he couldn't. Life to him was a cruel joke. I, mean, I, I, I would imagine that Solomon had, had his bouts with depression, right? Um, I don't think you can avoid seeing 
the meaningless of life when you have such wisdom, right? Wisdom is not always pleasurable because you, you can see both sides of things. Um, so. Well, it sounds to me like he had everything in life, but he was not happy. Yeah. I mean, look at all these people that are very wealthy and they're not happy. Right. You know, I mean, they can go out and buy anything they want. Yeah. And I think Solomon was the same way. Bless his heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, I yeah. mean, he just couldn't really find happiness. Right. So I think he couldn't find happiness in those things. Correct. Right? Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong on what I'm about to say here. I love, I love this country. I love being an American. At the same time, there is something to be cautious of when, um, you know, we start espousing things like the American dream as if it's only material wealth, right? In the American dream, you can, you can do anything, be anybody, start a business, you know, fail on your own, but pick yourself back up by the bootstraps and go back at it again. But it's all, in some ways, a material kind of gain that if it's not balanced with that spiritual side, you wind up being like Solomon here, but on a different scale with nothing, right? People become depressed because they say, I try and I try and I try, but there's no way that I can get out of the hole that I'm in. Whereas Solomon had the opposite problem. He was, he had everything he could possibly want. He had everything he could possibly ask for, and it wasn't good enough, yeah. right? But on the opposite end, there are people, I would imagine right now, especially struggling. I, I mean, how many, how many suicides have there been since the lockdowns and all this stuff from people who would like to go work and put food on the table or go like to see, see other people or this, that, and the other, and they just have this despair that overtakes them to the point where they wind up taking their own lives. And it's absolutely tragic. And Lord have mercy on us as a country because for a long time we've been declining in our understanding of religion, uh, specifically the Christian faith. We've been declining for a long time and now we're finding out Sadly, a lot of people are finding out that the things that they replaced instead of that they held on to instead of faith in Christ, they're now seeing it can slip through your fingers faster than you can realize. And it's gone. And when you've put all of your entire self-worth and being into these things and they're just gone, what else do you have to live for? At least that's their thinking. It's extremely tragic and something that we really need to be aware of um, and do all that we can as Christians to reach out to people if, if we have the means to do so and say, you know, here's a little something so you can eat, but why don't you come to church with me and find out where the true bread of life comes from, right? Uh, so, um, 
the discuss portion. Let's see. Uh, give some examples to illustrate Solomon's point that there is more gain in wisdom than folly. Verse 13. What sort of a, give, give some examples to um, make his point. doesn't make a very good case for it. <laughs> How do you, so... So the, the argument which is better, um, in chapter 2.14 he says the wise man has eyes in his head, mm -hmm. um, so wisdom is better than folly because at least you know, you'll avoid pitfalls or something. Okay. But then going back to chapter 1 at the end he says with much wisdom comes much sorrow and the more knowledge the more grief. Which sounds like an argument for in, um, innocence is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance yeah. is bliss. So I don't think he makes a particularly good case. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, yeah, he. That's the thing about wisdom. He can't make up his mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's. At the very least, we can appreciate his honesty, right? That with, with wisdom. Um, you're not necessarily going to be happy, but you'll gain life in some ways because, like you said, you'll avoid the pitfalls. Um, foolishness, um, foolishness winds up... Okay, so here's, 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 I guess, the point. And to go back is to kind of see this in our cultural context, right? We are such short sighted people in America. We're only looking to next week, next month, next year. Um, there are a lot of people in America who if they suffer from uh, depression or they suffer from other from anxiety, that I'm not saying that there's no such thing as a chemical imbalance, okay? That can't be fixed with some sort of medication. But when that's the first thing you go to, instead of maybe talking to your pastor and finding out what, what sort of spiritual problems are going on that could help, at least remedy and make it not as bad to the point where you can say, hey, you know what, things are, things are manageable, right? But the fact is, is that most people would rather just go get a pill than deal with what's actually taking place because... You deal with it in the short term, but in the long term, you know, you're dealing with more serious problems. You're not dealing with the underlying problem. So in some sense, it's, it's the same thing with foolishness and wisdom. Foolish, uh, being foolish feels really good right now, and it may feel really good tomorrow or next week. But several months down the line, several years down the line, it takes a toll. And you're going to find sorrow in a different way than if you would have latched on to wisdom, right? You latch on to wisdom and you say, yeah, you know, this hurts. This hurts really bad right now. But over time, it's like exercising. Or it's like building up a callus. Or it's like um, making sure things are nice and sharp. What is it? Um... I've shown you all that diagram where like you have, you, you, you're supposed to keep a sharpened conscience, right? 
But to have a dulled conscience means that you engage more and more breaking of the Ten Commandments. I've shown you that, right? Where, uh, well, for the sake of the people on the internet, let's see if I can do this again, but you see, you know, you have like all these, here's all the columns. I just want to draw something, y'all. Let me be honest. I just want to draw something. So you have like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, right? You have all these ten commandments, right? And here's you trying to keep all these things, right? But let's say that, um, let's find one that we, you know, uh, when we re-examine the Ten Commandments over and over again, uh, and we keep them fresh in our minds, and we use things like a confessional mirror, like I think I handed those out when I first got here, mm -hmm. asking these questions, have I done this and therefore broken the ninth commandment, coveting my neighbor's house? Have I done this and therefore broken the eighth commandment and borne false witness against my neighbor? You ask these things so that, you know, when you, when you, let's just deal with one, like breaking the eighth commandment, right? I mean, that's something that we all do on some level. So when you hear something about somebody and you just can't help but say it to somebody else, regardless of whether it's true or not, and you say, well, I'm just going to chip away at that a little bit, you know, and just chip away at that a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But re-examining yourself by the Eighth Commandment and the depths of what that really means helps to sharpen that conscience even more so that you don't get down to the bottom and wind up totally bottoming out. Uh, mm -hmm. Foolishness is to engage in the short-term pleasures as opposed to delaying gratification, which a lot of people are talking about now. It's really interesting. It's like, delay gratification. Don't have that, that candy bar right now. Save it for after you do like a big task or something. Um, but you say these short-term indulgences feel good right now. Kind of like having a little too much to drink. Having a great time. Partying on, getting crazy, having fun with your friends, and then in the morning, you're way down here, right? And um, foolishness, I guess in some ways it depends on your perspective, on how good of a case you think he's making, right? Do you want to be wise or do, you know, or do you not care about what he's saying, right? Is your aim just give me as much pleasure as I can possibly take right now? Or is your aim wisdom in saying, what is it that God really wants for me in my life? What is it that is good that God wants me to have? And I don't think that a lot of people think about that. Even Christians have a hard time with it, believe it or not. Christians have a hard time with it too. I have a hard time with it um, in a lot of different ways. You know, you have these... Um, Battles with the flesh, right? And we can get into some of that stuff later, but I guess it depends on the, um, the perspective that you have, the aims that you have, the goals that you want to pursue, right? Is that kind of making some sense here? Am I making sense? Um, am I not making sense? <laughs> Well, we're not perfect, that's for sure. Well, that's exactly right, Alice. We're not perfect. But the thing is, is that um, 
Sin is tricky, and Satan is tricky in getting us indulged in sinful thoughts and behavior, right? He's a, he's a master of a thousand arts, like uh, Luther called him. Um, but in there's more gain in wisdom than folly. We see that... Um, that a wise course of action in a lot of instances can prevent disaster down the road, right? I guess that's kind of a main point to take from here, is that if you take the steps today to ensure that you eat well or you uh, get enough sleep, get enough sunlight, um, it, you know, just, just on a bodily, physical level, get enough exercise, go out for walks and things like that, when you do those things that aren't always fun to do, right? Um, I like salads, but I don't like to eat them all the time, right? I, I sometimes enjoy walks, but I don't always go on, like, I, I don't always enjoy going for a run or something. Um, but when you do those things and you engage in the discipline now, it helps stave off catastrophe later. Because, you know, it, I could sleep in, in the mornings, and then, uh, but but the thing is, is that if I slept in every morning to a certain time, just because I wanted the short-term pleasure of sleep, then I would get into work late, and it would push things back throughout the day, and it wouldn't be very wise, right? It just kind of has a domino effect. So I guess that's what he's kind of getting at here. Um, you know, my. My teacher's sheet says, you know, good government policies and laws promote um, the earthly welfare of people, right? Quality products and services improve people's lives. Good instruction prepares people for life and work. So those are some examples in our daily life of how wisdom is better than folly. Um, why would you want to go to work somewhere in like an oil refinery if they don't have a good safety plan? Does that make sense? If they said, well, uh, you don't really need to wear a hard hat, don't worry about it. And then later on you wind up getting a concussion or dying because you, because nobody cared, because it was foolishness, right? Um, let's keep moving here because we're running out of time. <laughs> I wanted to get to chapter three and four. Um, are there any questions here y'all really wanted to touch on here? Um, because I know y'all went home and looked at these, right? Right? Were you all wise in taking these home and reading them when you should? I didn't take it home, but... Okay. Were you at least wise in reading it before class? That is correct. <laughs> I even went to chapter 3 this morning. Good. Yeah. Well, here let's let's just um, let's just touch on number five there. What is the best thing that can happen to us in this life, according to everything that we're reading here, or you know, just a general question? What is the best thing that we that that, that can happen to us in this life? This life alone. I'm not talking about the next life to come, but this life right here and now. Well, like Lutheran Witness said, to lead a chaste and decent life. Mm-hmm. 
What does that mean to be a good Lutheran? And ask the question, what does this mean? What? To lead a chaste and decent life. To lead a godly life, to put God above everything else. Yeah, to, to, um, to examine ourselves by God's word, to understand who we are before God and man. Um, and in a material sense, to enjoy, like you said, the good gifts of God. Right? Not to hold them in such a high esteem that we, that we wind up breaking the first commandment, which is idolatry, right? Um, how about this? Let's also go to number seven on that page. What is the secret to wisdom, knowledge, and happiness? Y'all figured that out yet? Fear of God. Oh, really? Where do you get that from? Something in pastor. That's right. <laughs> That's right. A pastor told you that? Well, a pastor told you that correctly. Or was it? Is that, yeah, I think it's the beginning of, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord, right? The beginning of wisdom, as it were, too. Um, it's in the Psalms and it's in Proverbs. Um, so yeah, wisdom, knowledge, and happiness are gifts of God, right? Um, they don't come about just because we're good people. You know, another comment I'll make, you know, each day is a gift. And so, you know, when Alice said, you know, there's uh, the rich people and the poor people. They each have 24 hours in a day to do something, either to be happy, to be sad. And in chapter 3, there's a time for all of that. Right, and we're going to get there. But, yeah. you know, they have either wisdom or folly to be happy, sad, or whatever they want to be. But they only got those 24 hours because... God's going to give you another day, maybe. <laughs> right. Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, right? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, but he says that in regards, not so that we would just be lazy and sit back and not do anything, but to say, do what is given for you to do within your given vocation. But realize that, like I said earlier, there's always more to do. Um, and... As long as you prioritize and you focus on the things that really make a difference, especially in the eyes of God, everything else will be fine. Everything else will just kind of fall into place. God will provide things for you. It's amazing to think about, you know, we think, you know, I went to the grocery and I bought a steak. That's something I did. Let alone the fact that, you know, someone, you know, made sure that the cow was born and that the cow was raised and fed and, you know, that the cow was butchered and that it was processed and that it was, you know, made to look really nice and pretty in the package and put on the shelf and sold to me and not to mention all this other stuff that had to take place before I could get there and put my money on the table and buy it, right? But how did all that happen if it wasn't God's provision, right? It just, it doesn't just happen like um, God has set these things in motion for our good. Right? To realize these are gifts is what is important. Um, but especially wisdom and knowledge are something that are attainable 
by God's word, which we read, you know, the fear of the Lord, understanding who we are, who God is, right? Um, they belong to a person who trusts God's salvation and serves him in love, right? And serves our neighbors in love as well, right? Um, let's move on to chapter three. We're running out of time here. Man, I see the video and the podcast are going to say Bible study Ecclesiastes three and four. We spent most of our time in chapter two as a, as a review. We are going an hour and a half, yeah. So, but I just I just want to at least get through this this part of chapter three so we can um, not not get there, right? Uh, Ecclesiastes three verses one through nine. Who would like to read verses one through nine, chapter three? You can even sing it, right? Yeah, the birds. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, Paul, and Mary, right? Two? Yes. Yeah. Mamas and the papas. Okay, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from this toil? Okay. So I, I had to pass this out, I almost forgot. This is the next round of questions from our panel here. For today? Mm -hmm. Oh, you already took one. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, there's an extra one right there. You yes, can hand it back I later. Even, I even made some notes here. Yeah. <laughs> well, you see from this first part, the look part, right? These verses are quite well known, even to non-Christians. At least one secular song uses them, and they are quoted by secular poets. But secular authors invariably miss the point. Surprise, surprise, right? They use these verses to offer hope for change. Solomon, however, speaks of the cycles of life that cannot be changed. Okay? So, look at each of these verses from two standpoints. First, give some examples of what Solomon was talking about. Then, as there is time, state why each of these cycles add to the meaninglessness of life. So, verse 2. Uh, born, die, plant, pluck up, right? To, to sow and to reap, right? So, what... What examples, uh, oh yeah, hang on, y'all have the, yeah, born, die, plant, all right, okay. Um, I mean, what sort of examples are there from verse 2 today? People. Yeah. I mean, we're born, mm -hmm. and we know we've got to die, mm -hmm. and... 
as for the plant and fuck up, I'm not for sure about that. Yeah, I don't know. I think hopefully nowadays with people, uh, with the last year with the pandemic and the supply lines, the supply chains being running low, hopefully people are planting more gardens so they at least have some supplementation of food in case something catastrophic happens. You know, it's never a foolish thing to have a garden just in case. But a lot of people have that. Especially if you live in the city, what are you going to plant? Probably a tomato plant, that's about it. That's about the only thing that can live on a patio uh, if you were blessed enough to have one, right? It would die if it was mine. <laughs> so, you know, born, die, plant, pluck up. Um, but, you know, how, did, how does this add to the meaninglessness of life, understanding these, these cycles here? Born, die, plant, and pluck up. Well, I guess plants are like humans. We'll die eventually, and plants die. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, plants plants become... I mean, what is it? You, you, you even see it in science. You know, most, most of the thing... Most of the life forms on this planet are made of carbon, right? And that when they decompose, it goes back to the soil and can fertilize and stuff like that. And people are kind of the same. I mean, it's it's... Not, not to get on a crazy tangent, but people go so far with this stuff. Have y'all seen how when people die now, they even have an option to bury your body in a pod with a seed so that a tree will grow and your body will be like the fertilizer for that tree so that people can look and see, oh, look, there's dad's tree. Okay. It's part of dad because... His body fertilized that tree, and now his carbon molecules and particles and things like that are helping to grow the tree. Isn't that nice? I think it's pretty sick. But, it, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, that they're trying to find meaning. They're trying to find meaning somewhere where it ought not be found. Too much wisdom. Oh, yeah, sure. We'll call it that. Um, but, yeah, so you see that, you know... Things are planted, things are plucked up, people are born, and they die. And I think a lot of people nowadays also are really threatened by the prospect of death. Um, you know... Cryogenics. <laughs> yeah, you're starting to see people saying, you know, um, how can I prolong life as much as I possibly can, or something along those lines. But, I mean, it's... it's it's pretty amazing because you even look to not even a hundred years ago, death was a much more common thing. Um, someone was sick, you didn't really have a hospital to put them in, you had them at home. That's why they have the deathbed, right? Um, you're seeing that a little bit more now with hospice and things like that. We won't go into that too much, but I don't think enough people have had those experiences um, you know, I'm sure people in this room have had more than enough on some level, but a lot of people don't have those experiences to where they say that this is a reality. A lot of people are disillusioned in that way. That death is something that happens on TV. It doesn't happen to me in my life. Or either that or it happens far away where I don't have to see it, right? Um, but it kind of adds, when you really just think about it, it, it can add to the meaninglessness of it all. Right? You can't stop from dying on some level, which is all the more important reason why 
pastor once told me, and I'll, and I'll repeat it, and eventually I'll claim it as my own, maybe, because that's how you learn, <laughs> is that you say, you know, what's, what's the point of teaching people the faith? It's to prepare them to die. Not as if death is ultimately tragic. Death is a tragedy. It is not something that we should wish on people, right? It's not something that we should hold as something that is desirable. But, it is some, but it's not something we have to be afraid of. That as Christians, we believe that Christ has conquered death. And when you understand that death has been conquered for you, you can go out and live your life and say, you know, I know that if I get in my car and I drive down to Kerrville or something like that, something could happen. I could die. Um, I could, you know, even, even just a short distance home, uh, a truck could weave off into the wrong lane and I'd be done for. But knowing that Christ has defeated death for me helps me get in my car. <laughs> it helps me go to work. It helps me get on with my life knowing that I will live forever. Right? Um, so, I, kind of, I think I just defeated the whole purpose of looking at these things because we're supposed to see how they increase the meaninglessness of it all. But, you know, if you're only looking at life and death, planting and plucking and things like that, then it is meaningless by itself. I, could, I don't know what I would do if I was an atheist and just saying, well, this is all I've got. This life's all I've got, so i got to make the best of it. Um, because if you really follow it through, you get to where Solomon is and saying it's all pointless. What's the point? It's nihilistic, right? Um, yeah, we see here verse 3, kill, heal, break down, build up. It's just this cycle, right? And we can go for all of these things, but for the sake of time, we'll keep on going. Because I think being born and dying are big enough examples. But you see it perpetuated, you know, cast away, gather, embrace, refrain, seek, lose, keep, cast away, right? So you see all these cycles, um, So there's, there's, there's a positive in some sense, but there's always the downside, right? There's always a downside with anything in this life. And it's just, like we talked about last time, it's so appealing to people that are pagans, which is becoming more and more of a phenomenon nowadays. People are outright pagans. They have altars in their home to their pagan gods that they burn incense to and make little offerings to and stuff like that. It's really strange, but it's a reality. But people who are pagans, they have this circular way of thinking, right? Remember that last time we talked about um, it's, not an, it's not the endless circle, like a snake that eats its tail kind of thing. It's a spiral, right? It's more likely a spiral. We could think of it as linear, too. I mean, that helps to see things out on a broad scale. But in terms of life, it also helps to look at it in a cyclical sp spiral way. And as I was thinking last time, you know, I went down to up, right? But more often than not, it's up to down, you know? It's not necessarily getting better. Um, so, 
the negative always comes, right? The cycle repeats itself. Uh, and our labor and achievements must finally come to nothing. Um, so, if y'all would like, I'm going to ask for examples, you know, is on, on the apply section, give an example from your own life of the cycles Solomon described in these verses. It can be an average everyday occurrence or it can be something major. How does this impress you, on you the truth of Solomon's words? What gain has the worker from his toil? Does anybody want to share any examples? No pressure. Seriously. If you really don't want to, it's no big deal. <clears throat> There's a time to sew and a time to tear. <laughs> yeah. Speaking as someone who's working on a quilt right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, when I finish it, sure, for a while, everyone will, ooh and aw, oh, you made that, that's so cool, yada, yada, yada. But eventually the quilt will belong to somebody who doesn't know me, who didn't spend 18 months plus ripping their hair out over making it. And eventually the quilt will fray and get eaten by moths and go in the, you know, the rag pile or the dumpster or whatever. So yeah. Kind of like uh, what you were saying with the puzzles. Like, man, why do I even bother? <laughs> what? What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. Um... Yeah, reading or even you know going back to the idea of you know reading a book. Uh, yeah, I've I've gained the knowledge, and maybe I could pass it on in some way to somebody. But eventually, it's just going to kind of trickle away. Um, and this is not to get us to be depressed or understand that everything is meaningless. That it's not worthwhile to quilt. That it's not worthwhile to patch things up that are broken or whatever. But to see that. You know, under the sun, there's no real lasting value in any of this. I mean, even in this church building. It's, this church building won't always be here. We hope that it will. We hope it will be here for a long, long time. right? Um, but, you know, for it was pointed out, I think I said it last time, that there's, there's the understanding of, of you know, if, if you had ancestors that came from like years ago, you, you right now are alive by the blessing of having ancestors that survived. Did it matter that they read Moby Dick? Did it matter that they uh, that they knew how to that they knew how to I don't know. Did it matter that they knew how to make wine? Did it matter that they had a good time on a particular Saturday night? Did it matter that they, I don't know, fill in the blank? Something that ultimately didn't last. What mattered is that they survived, right? That they lived and that now you're here. But I can't tell you, uh, you know, I, I know that I have a great, great, an umpteenth great grandfather from back in Germany, Benjamin Buvinghausen von Vomerona, you know, and, and he was a baron. But I can't tell you what his favorite color was. I can't tell you what kind of, you know, beer he liked. <laughs> you know? I can only tell you that he did certain things in his life and, and that he was a faithful Lutheran on some level. And that was it. And that's, that's all I can say. That's all I know. Um, so we give thanks to God for what we do have and what he has granted for us to have, right? Um, 
So let's move on here. <laughs> uh, we rightly focus on how the bad times follow the good and negate our toils. But the opposite is also true. Good times follow the bad. What comfort can we draw from this? You know, to take Amy's example, there's there's got to be a thousand people doing the same thing, making quilts. quilts. Mm -hmm. And those quilts, a thousand of them, are probably going to Africa. Mm. And, you know, like you said, that's going to happen to those quilts, but there may be two or three that become heirlooms <laughs> for a family and keep going. <laughs> uh, we don't know, but you know, that's that's God's work. <laughs> but those quilts also give warmth to somebody that mm -hmm. that is needs that that's a good satisfaction knowing right. that or security to somebody. So, you know, all that toil, all that work, it's better than working jigsaw puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got falling, <laughs> falling and, jigsaw and, puzzles. I mean, I can tell you, I've, I've lived in Africa and worked in Africa. I mean, one blanket over there, man, that is, that is <laughs> tremendous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and to get on a different, on a slightly different note, you know, um, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's a note here that I kind of, I, I'll take some issue with, you know, because I have the teacher's portion of this. Um, and it says, you know, God is merciful, and that is true. I won't contend with that. Uh, but it says, when, when there are bad times, we can take heart that good times are around the corner. I'll take a little issue with this in saying, we don't know how far away that corner is, right? Um, and we shouldn't only say, uh, shouldn't only be like, like Annie, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow, right? Um, that, that's a possibility. And we pray for that, right? We, we, we're always hopeful that God will bring something good around the corner. And he has promised good things ultimately for those who trust in him. Right? Eternal life is probably the best thing you could ever hope for. And that is what you have in Christ. The problem is, though, is that being a Christian means that we also have certain crosses to bear. But the good news of that is that that cross has already been borne by Christ. That's why he says... Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and lowly in heart. Right. So he, he is, he's saying that I've borne this for you so that whatever comes your way, you can take. Because I've carried it already. Right. That's the hope that we have ultimately, that no matter what happens, we can learn from it. And we can turn to God and say, Lord, have mercy on me and help me through this, right? Knowing that he will. We don't have a hope that says, well, maybe if I ask hard enough. Well, maybe if I say the right words. 
It is, Lord, help me, and he will. He may not help you in the way you expect, but he will help you. He'll give you the endurance you need. He'll give you the strength that you need. He gives you the faith that is necessary to trust in him. So it's good. It's good that in that sense, where there are bad times, good comes from it, like Paul says in Romans, Romans 8. You know, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Right? So there's hope there. And he doesn't always answer when we want him to. Right. He doesn't always answer when we want him to. He says, you know, is it yes, no, or wait? Right? (laughs) Not yet. Um, But he loves to hear us ask, for sure. Prayer is always important. Um, Let's keep moving. We're running out of time. This is all stuff to keep thinking about, and whatever we talk about here, you know, I would encourage you to continue to ponder this as we go forward. Um, verses 10 through 22. Who wants to get those real quick? And normally we would take a break, but we kind of need to keep going if we're going to get through all this stuff. And who wants to read verses 10 through 22 of chapter 3? seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. I also thought, As for men, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and the spirit of the animal goes down to the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Okay. More cheery optimism. Um, so yeah, there's there's look at you know verse ten, eleven, eighteen, and twenty one. You know, um, verse ten he talks about business or. God-given task, right, which the sons of men are to be occupied. Solomon brought up this topic in 113. He returns to it and offers further explanations of why the search for meaning in life is such a burden. Beautiful eternity, you know, we'll go through those. Um, Let's see here. How about let's go to discuss here. Um, Oh, wait, first of all, verse 21. He says, you know, who knows, right? 
who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth. But remember, Solomon is, ta Solomon is talking about observations made only under the sun in this world, right? In a material sense, right? So it's kind of a rhetorical question, because we know who knows, right? For sure, God knows what happens. Um, but here, describe the burden Solomon speaks about in verse 10. Hint, piece together what we know about God and eternity with what we are not able to do with that knowledge. Interesting. So describe, what, describe that burden in verse 10. Kind of a heavy question, right? Yeah. So when he says I have seen the God-given task, and what does the ESV say? It says, um, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. Um, there's kind of a tension there. There's what we see, and then there's what God sees, right? Um, that's kind of the burden that God exists and that he is good, and we know that there is more than time here on earth, that God and human souls will last into eternity, right? Um, we cannot solve the riddle of why things happen as they do. That's the burden. That God gives us these things to do, and it's like, well, why do I have to do this? You know, and you don't, you don't always know the answer to that. You know, why... why why do I have to deal with such tragedy in my life? Or why do I have to deal with someone else's problems, right? Um, if you have family or friends that come knocking on your door when they need help or something like that, like, why do I have to deal with them? What's the point of me? Can they just go bother somebody else, right? <laughs> it's, not necessar it's, it's not necessarily given to us to know why we do the business that God has given us to do. Um, and we know there's more to what we do in this life, but we just can't see it. That's, and that's the burden, I think, that he's getting at. Um, this, this gives a, an explanation of saying, like, you know, it's as if a person describes a beautiful mountain scene he saw on vacation, filled with white glaciers, brown rocks, and purple flowers, and then hands you a black and white picture of it, right? You know there's more, but seeing it is just out of your reach, right? So it's like, I, yeah, I tell you. <laughs> or I, I, um, I describe to you my house or something like that, and I say, oh, it's great. We got this in the corner. You know, we have, we have uh, the fireplace over here. We don't have a fireplace. But you, know, you say this is where this is and this is where that is, and then I do like some little stick drawing for you. Like, see? You know exactly as I told you? You know, you know something's different. It's, it's, it's just frustrating. Uh, it's not always given for you to know why. Um, 
Well, yeah. even, even more than that, and uh, I say this to myself, I'm glad there's a God because there's 350 million people in the United States and yeah. they're all doing something. <sighs> I mean, it's kind of crazy. Got to be some order, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's it's like was it, there was a there was a joke from Saturday Night Live uh, when they did Weekend Update. You know, I I saw it on like the 25th anniversary, and they're doing all the highlights or whatever. And one of these guys said he said, "There's a billion people in China. A billion. Isn't that amazing? That means if you're a one in a million kind of guy, that means there's a thousand of you just like you somewhere else. <laughs> you know." <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, it's mind-boggling to think of all the, the reasons why, and it's not always given, you know, different things are out of our, all, all this stuff is out of our reach. Um, that's why they say, stay in your lane, right? Do what's been given to you to do. Um, so what theme does Solomon repeat in verses 12 and 13? Careful there. Be happy, careful. Happy, happy, <laughs> with your work. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. The reason why I say be careful is because there was. Um, uh, hang on. There. Lost the connection here. Oh no. Well, I guess you assume drink meant alcohol. <laughs> well, the reason. The reason. <laughs> The reason why I say be careful with the eat, drink, and be merry kind of thing is because that was a saying of uh, a certain f philosophical group called the Epicureans. And they would say, you know, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It was hedonism, right? Yeah. Uh, and Paul uses that as an example in, in his evangelization and things like that. But he says it as a negative, right? It's, that's, not, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, it has some truth in it. And Solomon espouses this truth, but when you only see it as pure enjoyment, pure pleasure, pure joy in a physical, material sense, you miss the point, right? It's a gift of God to enjoy these things. It's a gift of God to enjoy the fruits of your labors, right? That God has given you the ability to do these things. That God has blessed your work and brought about good fruits from it, right? That's, 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 that's the theme that is repeated there. Um, that all good gifts come from God. Well, that's what I meant. <laughs> I know what you meant. I know what you meant. <laughs> I know what you meant. It's just, you know, some people, uh, I just have to make the distinction in the clarification, okay? Um, it doesn't like liars. <laughs> the, uh, the sense of eternity, the knowledge of a creator in our in our. Inability to change the cycles of life joined together for one purpose. What is that purpose? Drive us to God. Yeah. To, to humble us, right? To make us realize just how small we really are. To make us realize just how much we really do depend on God for all the things in our lives. Um, to know that life is out of our control. And I'm not going to get into any, anything, I'm trying not to get anything too 
political or whatever, but, you know, um, there's a lot of things you see out in the world with this, this virus, and people, I've seen it many, 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 many times, and this is not an excuse for one way or the other, but it's just interesting. There are people who have isolated themselves, or they restrict themselves severely from going out, they always wear their masks, they always do exactly what they're supposed to do, sanitizing, washing their hands, all this stuff, and then they still catch COVID. Isn't that crazy? Uh, I, I don't mean to say that we shouldn't wash our hands. Wash your hands, please. I don't mean to say that you shouldn't wear your masks, necessarily. I'm not saying don't... Uh, I'm not saying be reckless with your life. Don't go driving down the highway. Don't, don't go driving down Main Street of Fredericksburg at 60 miles an hour uh, running all the lights, thinking that everything's going to be okay, right? What I am saying is that... As much as we like to think that life is within our control firmly, it's ultimately in God's hands. Right? Um, it's ultimately in God's hands. And that should drive us to humility, to be humble and say, Lord, thank you for every breath that I have. Thank you for every beat of my heart, right? It's because it's all a gift from you, right? Um, And yet we should especially do this when we know that things are out of control because things are not going our way or things are really hard, right? Um, it should drive us to God and ask for his care and his mercy and the knowledge of salvation ultimately, but also the strength to get through whatever we're getting through, right? Um, what is another meaningless activity described in verses 16 and 17? Yeah, wickedness where there should be what? Judgment yeah, judgment, justice, righteous judgment. Um, judges can be corrupt. The legal system can be faulty. Um, and there's not always remedy in this life for these things. Right? Um, yet Solomon consoles himself with the knowledge that God will rectify this situation at the end. Right? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Um Hello? <laughs> it talks to me. I gotcha. Um, we gotta keep moving here. Oh, man, we're running out of time. Um, what does God want people to see about their condition as they ponder their common fate with the animals? Oof. Does it make you proud or does it humble you? I guess I'll ask that question. What? To know that um, you have a common condition and a co or a common fate with the animals of this world that, you know, they're gonna rot and decay, and so you that we all so die, <laughs> right? It all comes back to death, and only seeing this life as an end in itself, it it ultimately ends in death, and um, that's why I always say anybody who says, you know, I I I, I commune with God in nature. It's just like, well, nature's full of death. 
<laughs> that's not always a pretty picture, right? Um, there are predators out in nature. Uh, there's death and decay in nature. Uh, and that is a, because of the corruption of sin, right? And if we only look at that, there's not really any hope, kind of like what Solomon's getting at here. Uh, God wants to humble us and lead us to seek his blessing so we can enjoy what he has given us now. In fact, like this all reminds me of Ash Wednesday, right? Uh, you come forward and, and I'm still trying to figure out what we're going to do with the imposition of ashes, if we're going to do it or whatever. But um, I might just leave it up to people and say, hey, I'll have it. If you want to come forward, come forward. If not, don't worry about it. No pressure. But what is it that the pastor always says when he puts the ashes on your forehead? Dust you are, and to dust you will return. Remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's right. um, the promise that God gave Adam at the beginning, right? You will eat and you will toil and work by the dust of the ground, and then at the end of it you'll return to the dust, for, you were, for that is where you came from. Cheery, cheery pictures here. Um, let's just touch on chapter 4 real quick before we end today. Um, I'll read that real quick. It's, only, it's, it's, it's pretty short. And this is from the New King James Version. So Solomon says, uh, Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praised the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the, the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool, holds, the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full, together with toil and grasping for the wind. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. 
Surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. <laughs> so in this and the following chapters, Solomon gives us examples of things that make life meaningless under the sun. Uh, quickly, because we're running out of time here, but let's just go through some of these things and then we'll close. What makes life meaningless according to verse 1? What's that big word there? Oppression. Oppression, right? Um, if there were justice, there would be there would be hope. But in general, when you're uh, when you're in the world, strictly speaking, under the sun, the oppressed have little or no hope, right? It's kind of what I was talking about before, where on one side you have the rich, who ideally they'll see that. The end is not ultimately in their riches uh, because there's nothing there at the end of it all. But then there are people on the other side of the spectrum who say, what's the point? What's the point of getting up in the morning to go and struggle in this life because I've got nothing to show for it, right? Um, it's a very sad thing. Um, Who does Solomon conclude is the happiest person? <laughs> Maybe this is depressing, right? The non-existent person. Right, the person who hasn't been born. Uh, the person that doesn't exist. Um, another cheery insight by Solomon here. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like with Job, right? It's kind of like with Job. He had all these horrible things happen to him, and he said, oh, that I would not have even been born. If I was going to go through this life with all these troubles and horrible things happening, what, what's the point? But again, this is all short-sighted. Right? It's all only seeing with what's right in front of your face. That if you focus on the negative so much, and that's all you ever see, then you quickly ask the question, what's the point? Right? What's the point of all this? It doesn't make any sense. Um, we'll leave the others for uh, later, and next time we'll actually pick up on chapter 5. But, you know, just go through and think about what other things contribute to the meaninglessness, meaninglessness of life. You know, verse 4, verse 5, 5 and 6, 7 and 8, 13, 13 through 16. Um, and he talks about companionship, right? Uh, that in this life, companions make things a little bit easier, right? Having friends. And that's probably why church is so important, too. Oh, man. Internet connection lost again. Oh, well. Nope, oh, stream resumed. Okay. So, we'll, we'll just close here that um, there's all these reasons to be meaningless, but you can always find, uh, there's, there's all these things here that he's pointing out saying that in and of themselves, they are meaningless. And yet we can still take these things and say, Amen, that's true. Thanks be to God, that's not all we hold on to. Right? We hold on to something greater. We hold on to something that is more sure. And that is the promise of everlasting life through Christ. Right? Um, and eventually, trust me, Solomon will get there. 
<laughs> making his case still. Just in case there was any doubt in anybody's mind, that's what he's doing. In case there was any doubt in someone's mind saying, well, but there's still that one thing I can hold on to in this life that really makes a difference. And he's trying to point out that no, you really can't. But ultimately, that God is the one who controls all these things. And when we understand that, it actually makes life a little bit better. It makes everything into a gift, right? When we stop thinking, um, look at all the great things that I've done, look at all the things that I've earned in this life, look at, look at all the great things in this world, when we stop and say, no, these things are gifts from God and He's the one that should be praised, then we see just how truly gracious God can be and is, right? So. With all these, I don't want to leave y'all each time thinking everything is meaningless. Um, but I want y'all to understand in the proper perspective that everything in this world by itself is. Without God, without Christ, without faith and trust in what he has done, is doing and will continue to do. Without that, it is meaningless. But God be praised that we are given eternal salvation through no doing of our own. That all we have to do is believe. Say, Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me, for conquering the worst thing that there ever is, conquering the thing that does make life meaningless so that my life can truly have meaning. Right? Okay. We will stop there. We're over time, but... Hey. Uh, there's a lot here, and um, next time we'll actually get started on chapter 5. Um, do you have any closing thoughts or comments on all this? Hopefully I was at least somewhat hopeful at the end there. You <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> I hate to send you all away just thinking, man, pastor's so depressing. No wonder he wears black. Oh my goodness. We know better. <laughs> I hope so. Hope so. All right. Well, if there's no comments, questions, feel free if you do. No, it's a lot to think about. Just ponder it. Um, well, if that's the case, then we'll close with the Lord's prayer. Our Father, Father who, who art in heaven, heaven hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, done on earth as it is in heaven. heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.